Good day. Welcome to Shepherd the Sheep. Uh, that intro by The Who, which hopefully was not so long that it puts us in copyright infringement. Uh, it's thematic to today's discussion because we are live in a recorded studio at the Elders Retreat with all the elders around one table. And there was much rejoicing. Yeah, that was the rejoicing. What's up, uh, guys? That's right. So we all, we also have a special guest with us tonight, uh, Sean McLean. So welcome, Sean. Welcome to the podcast. Yep. So we had a little uh, elders dinner with uh, the staff. And so we had uh, Amber and Caitlin and uh, their amazing husbands with us. So it was a good time tonight. And uh, here we are. Roundtable discussion. Roundtable discussion number letter number one. Letter number A. So this will I be. Like, I feel like uh, Ramil should give a little spiel on why we're doing this. What well, do I think? think so, but we got to do the intro music because oh, if we don't we do the intro music, it's not a real shepherd the sheep. Oh, okay. We're still in the intro. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, totally intro, um, but just special intro because this is probably one or two of two or three podcasts that will be recorded at the Elders Retreat Roundtable style. And this one is vastly outside of the normal scope of what we do. All right. Do it. All right. So key the intro music in three, two, one. I told you. If you have listened to that intro a couple times and put your own lyrics to it, uh, please text or email me your lyrics. So uh, I always think every president uh, hears that Hail to the Chief song and makes up their own lyrics to it. I would if I were president of the United States. I would totally make up my own lyrics. Hail to the Chief. And then I don't know what I would say after that, but I would totally make up my own lyrics. So, All right. Good evening. Welcome all. Good evening. Evening. Yep, Chris. Hello. Chris is uh, on a mic that has to be passed back and forth between Chris and Ramil. Good evening. Yes, there he is, live. Oh. All right. Well, tonight's a unique night, and so I'm going to put Ramil on the spot instantaneously because tonight is a little bit different than what we normally do, uh, but it's inspired by Ramil, and so uh, I'm excited about that because good to have a. Ramil inspired podcast. And uh, this is one that Gino and I did not inspire. Right. Yeah. So Gino and I are not in the driver's seat today. Are you okay with this, G? Yep. Yep. G cooked. Ramil's driving the podcast. Yep. Chris and I just participated. Yes. And it was good. (laughs) So (laughs) we didn't really do anything. All right. Fantastic. Thanks for having me here tonight with you guys. And uh, it's, I know it's not a common thing. And so tonight's podcast is really coming from 
really the idea of thinking about building relationships with people, working with people, and doing ministry with people. And that's really the kind of inspiring thoughts uh, behind it. Also a personal quirk of mine, I love to hear people's stories. I love to hear their growing up stories, where they came from, what what they like, what they don't like, what's their background. It just helps me to understand them. Um, and it helps me to have a good relationship where I know them better. And in the event that, you know, God allows for ministry to happen between me and someone else, I can minister to them better because it helps me to understand how they think, how they process things, how they work through things based on what I know about them. So tonight what we're going to do is ask the elders some of those kinds of questions because even amongst the four of us, often we find that there are things we don't know about each other that had we known those things would really help us to go, ah, uh, that's that's how they think and that's how they process through this. And I can better interpret and help prevent projection, right? So that's what we're going to be kind of endeavoring to do tonight. So I have a, a list of four questions that we're just going to go over. So One. you're digging into our past. Well. Which is interesting. <laughs> Because we've talked about this, but but no, but not a lot of people know this. But this is interesting because I know for at least maybe I'm speaking for Chris here, but we kind of talked about this before we started hit before we hit the record button. I don't generally think of my past. I'm like a fish. I don't remember what I did five minutes ago. So yeah, I'm, I'm the I'm the guy in the water that you could catch twice on the same bait because. That was shiny and looked good. So, <laughs> right, right. We're basically asking questions, and right, like we're we we understand that we're not about creating personalities that you can love, right? Uh, we're we're not about putting ourselves out there and saying this is who we are. If you have something in common with us, then then this is your church. Like that's not the point. The point is is that. Maybe you can learn something about learning about other people. Mm. And then maybe maybe you can learn how to interpret a person more accurate to who they are and help them better, right? Uh, and also, you might get a glimpse into how we operate amongst each other here at Cornerstone and how is it that we are able to work with, with each other well uh, just by understanding how we understand each other. So... That's that's sort of where we're coming from. And in the meantime, we will be putting everyone in a slightly uncomfortable position. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> it's it's interesting because this is a this this podcast will be dubbed Meet Your Elders. Right. Yeah. Okay. Right. <clears throat> Get to know us a yeah, bit like better. That. And as, you know, as the church gets a bit bigger, sometimes it's a bit more difficult. So this would be. And we would want you to know us more personal at a more personal level, but this would be another avenue. Hmm. So, shall we get to it, yes. gentlemen? Yeah. Great. P- peel off the band-aid. Yeah. yeah. Here we go. All right. So, question number one. 
where are you from or where did you grow up and what was it like? Huh. Oh, that's an easy what one. What was Gino? it like growing up? <laughs> that's an easy one. <laughs> Gino? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I was born on the island or is it on or in? <laughs> uh, you can go either way on that. Yeah, because it's such a tiny island. So I'm going to say on. On, Gu- on Guam. Um, tiny little island in the Pacific, uh, about three hours from the Philippines. Um, parents migrated there from the Philippines. And um, so Guam is actually part, and just a little bit, a little bit of trivia here, Guam is a territory of the United States of America. We've got lots of bombs there, Air Force Base and Naval Base and... Um, very laid back island. Um, so that's why I'm laid back, guys. That's why I'm chill. <laughs> this instantly has helped. <laughs> uh, it, it is a different culture. Um, well, you know, definitely change of pace moving to the States uh, in my college years. So, but yeah, um, I, I was born there. I'm considered a Guamanian, uh, which just means, you know, you're a Guami, uh, you're island boy, island girl. And uh, the pace is, the island pace is a little bit different than, than state space. But it's all good. You know, that's how I roll. So, is that, are we going through all the questions or you want more? No. Uh, the first question and then. Yeah, the first question. Jason, where are you but from? I, but I think that's helpful. Yes. So, because one of the things we said was like when you hear, like, one of the things that kind of piggybacking and trying to to have this discussion. Is it's instantaneously funny how you hear that and you go, yeah, that that's Gino, totally more the most laid back elder on in the team. Oh, really? That's I don't not, know. That's not Chris, huh? Would you, uh, <laughs> Chris? Are you the most laid back elder on the team? Well, the military probably got some influence on that. Uh, I've been yeah. in the military for yeah. seventeen years, so that has influence yeah. a lot of that. But I would still consider me pretty laid back. Um, just cause, uh, you know, I was born in the Philippines, but I was also, uh, I consider myself raised, uh, in Guam, on Guam. Um, Gino and I actually went to the same high school together. Islanders. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so sometimes maybe you'll hear us, uh, joke about punctuality and time. Uh, and that's really, uh, just because, um, you know, I operate on Allen time, on uh, Filipino time, um, and that's because there's just a lot of traffic, you know? And so when we make arrangements, we typically uh, don't make it. It's like a, you is know, your, is it's like an estimation. It's like an estimation. <laughs> that's a total excuse. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's just... It's an estimate. Yeah. When you so, say, like, you know, we, we don't meet at an hour. Like, we meet, like, noonish. Yeah. You know, afternoon, morning, right? It's just very vague. We're very generous with it, with our time. We're not like we, we time is yeah. not in a box. Exactly. Yeah. So um <laughs> but yeah, so that's uh yeah, so that's where uh, I'm from. That's where uh, even my wife, uh Michelle as well, she's born in the Philippines and raised in Guam. Um and then uh immediately moved after high school. Um and moved to San Diego a little bit, went to college there a little bit and then Las Vegas, and then joined the military, uh, and been in for about seventeen years now. So, Ooh, well, I'm not allowed to say that because I'm not military. Well, I think you, you can say, say it. Marine Corps thing. Like, I don't know. Who? 
Well, I thought that was a marine thing. It's a hurrah, uh, I think. Is it? All right, so I'm just gonna get killed. <laughs> I don't want to hear marines do it, but you know. I should stop. Yes, I should you stop. and your island. Well, I think that's interesting. I mean, uh, it's funny because you're a laid back Air Force guy. Yeah, yeah. There you there go. You I'm go. a laid back yeah. military guy. Yeah. For Air Force, you're pretty. That's pretty laid back. Yeah. 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 All right. No, that's true. But but when you're out of town. It is funny to me because your wife is extremely on time. <laughs> we talked like about that. twenty minutes early. <laughs> <laughs> so she grew up on Guam. What 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 was the difference? Yeah, she's Taipei. Oh yeah, she's Taipei. Yeah. So that, that overrules a, it. Yeah. Overrules the. Uh, yeah, she's yeah. the Taipei personality yeah, of us. Yeah. So yeah. the only reason, yeah. See, I learned I learned to be on time because of music class. Because if your your grade got docked. If uh, which got is weird because we were in the same music class. That's I feel true. like yeah, we were. But I was in there longer. Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah I was like yeah. four years there or something. Yeah. I only did it two years. Oh, that explains. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm only a little bit late. But that yeah. that's interesting. <laughs> uh, Gina, you're a Type B guy. Okay. Are you Type A? Would you would would you call yourself Type A? I don't know. I do not think a Type A person would let you call yourself Type A. Don't think so. Yeah, because the Type A people I know, I think they would be like, Gina's not Type A. Yeah, I don't think so. I try to be for our family, but because <laughs> <laughs> you married a Type B person, yes, we you did. and you and Jesse are both Type B people. Oh yeah, yeah, it's a great combo. Yeah, but Chris, are you? Like, when are you, you going to do the dishes? You do it. I <laughs> know. <laughs> what are the dishes? Yeah, well, I, I would have over... to say Michelle is a Type A. Oh, Michelle's yeah. totally Type A. But are you Type B? Uh, yeah, uh, probably. What it's do you like, think of like when I say Type B? Um, just go with the flow. Uh, not the shot caller. Is there only A and B? Is that the only option? Well, typically in that in that classification, there's type A and type B. Okay. Am I right, Ramil? I think so, as far as I know. Sorry, that that's that's where I'm, that's where we have a mic pass going on. Sorry, I, yeah, as as far as I can tell, I mean, most of the references had been yeah. A or B. How would you, does anybody have a good distinction between type A and type B? Uh, we looked. We looked at. I'm Sean. googling it right now. Sean had nothing. I think it's it's like organizational, punctual. Um, yeah. Everything has to be in order, like Type A. Uh, you know, nothing can be out of place. You know, they thinking about extremes, right? And then yes. Type B is a, a bit more like I'm okay if things are quite loose. Yeah. Rough drafts are great. Brainstorm is great. Um, Things not being in the box is is great, and that's so type, type B. Yeah, type B yeah. might be more like creative people, and then type A might be more like sort of your engineers, you know, yeah, um, and things like that. Right? We should we should do, ask Caitlin. I have an, I'm, I have I'm an official a type C. <laughs> I have an official <laughs> definition here according to uh, simply psychology. Type A, competitive, ambitious, impatient, aggressive, fast talking. Type B. Relaxed, non-competitive, uh, which is weird because I feel like I could be both depending on depending on what we're doing. Yeah, I know, but but I, I think that's weird because when we talk about Type A, we're talking about like extreme organization. Like these are these are the people that have files on their like they know the last time they purchased socks and they're they've got it marked on the next day they need to purchase socks according to the the sock industry of America and the foot the foot of society of. International Foot Society or whatever. Man, I call that um, 
OCD. Personal issues. <laughs> Personal issues. <laughs> Uh, but uh, but I think I said that because Ramil, you may be the only Type A elder on the elder among the team. He is not competitive, though. Yeah, <laughs> the you, least competitive we're really guy. all an amalgamation of it, right? Uh, and and more some some degree more on one side to another. Yeah, right. We're really like all ABs, but but uh, you know, yeah. I lean towards Type A because of my my job. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, often. Yeah. yeah. But but I think scripture, you know, when we prefer one another, so at some level, like, hey, if somebody's got a preference, like it's okay, I'll take the I'll take the B back seat. Yeah, exactly. Because I think I, I think of myself as type B. Uh, there are some times when you're a type A. I was gonna say I I know that there are there is some type A in me. Like I know when you handle your text messages, you are type A. <laughs> like the fact that you cannot make a mistake on what group you're keeping track of. That's pretty, that's pretty organized in your head. Yeah. Well, there's that, there's actually a reason why I do not work on my type A tendencies because my personality is such that when I'm extremely type A, I tend to be uh, very concise and uh, almost come off as a jerk hmm. because I'm super at that point, I'm super thinking about the details and I don't want to mess with uh, the process. I just want it out. So I think the type A, that's why I legitimately fight against type A personality in me. And I wonder, I think it's some of it, as Ramil and I've talked, is my background has put me in positions where I've seen my type A really rub people too wrong to the point where I've said, you know what, I really don't want to be like that. Right. So having said that, um, where did you grow up and what was it like? Yeah, I grew up in Oklahoma, flyover state. And, uh, yeah, right there above Texas, better than, I mean, above Texas in every way. Uh, you know, people that, people that don't get the Texas jokes, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure that's lost on the West coast because Oklahoma, Texas is, you know, like, like a friend of mine in Virginia is like, you guys are the same, but we're not cause we're better. But, um, <clears throat> that's that, right. That's that Oklahoma, Texas rivalry. And, um, so I grew up in Oklahoma, went to high school in Oklahoma, did my undergrad in Oklahoma, um, was working for a bank when I decided to go to seminary and went to seminary in 2005, married Kyla that year. And so, yep, been, been here ever, been on the West coast ever since. So. Wow. Go ahead, yeah. Awesome. Uh, yeah. And what's the general culture over there anyway? Oh, that's a really good question because Oklahoma is actually a blend of the Midwest and the South. And so it is not, you know, the way I describe it is you might go to one friend's house and they offer you sweet tea, but it's not sweet tea. It's sweet tie. And you go to another friend's house and sweet tea is an anathema because they grew up in the Midwest. And so like my parents were from Iowa, so they're Midwesterners. So I was a Midwesterner growing up in um, a culture that was a blend of Midwest and South, which is also funny because people in the South don't like to call Oklahoma a part of the South. But Oklahomans were very quick growing up to say, well, we fought for the South in the Civil War. And so they were very quick to defend their Southern origin. And so... Uh, it was an interesting in that way because Oklahomans are, are very emphatic about being Oklahomans. 
And it was funny because even, even up until junior high, uh, I can look back and remember growing up and in elementary, um, you know, teachers like, where are you from? I'm like, for all I'm from Wichita, Kansas, which is where I was born. Uh, but they, so the kids would not let me forget that. And I never understood for the longest time why that was such a factor in the dynamics of school. Why, who cares that I was born in Wichita, Kansas, you know, and I can't tell you how many times I heard, Oh, not for Kansas more title. Well, yeah, that's true. Uh, you're very original. Um, of course now I'd probably have some good one liner about Oak Okies and Sooners and Cowboys, but you know, at the time, like you just don't think about that growing up, but there was a, there was a sense in which that wasn't until really college where that didn't matter anymore. You know, cause by the time I got to college, that was, um, you know, nobody in college cared because you're meeting people from all across state, especially where I went to college, there was a, uh, university of central Oklahoma had one of the highest per capita Asian populations in the United States. It was like top five. And, uh, so there were a lot of Koreans and you, I didn't know, you know, you know, sometimes kimchi smells good. Yes. And sometimes kimchi smells bad. All right. <laughs> and in the dorms, there was a lot of bad kimchi because that smell, you'd walk the dorms and be like, oh. You what probably you? didn't like kimchi back then. That's why. Well, I hadn't had it. Uh, I mean, now I love kimchi, yeah. but I'm just telling you, like, it's so, that smell is so poignant, right? Mm-hmm. That like, and when you don't really know what it is and, and they're cooking on their, their one burners in their dorms and you're walking through there and you're like, oh, this is. Like there's a party that's like I gotta get out of here because just give me so give me a burger. So and, uh, and now you're a lover of kimchi. And I love kimchi. Yep. Yeah. I think I think the funny part is like four of the top five restaurants for us in Vegas are all Asian restaurants. Yeah. Like probably. pho, ramen. Yep. Yep. Korean barbecue. You sure that's not because of your uh, proximity influences? Well, it could be. Yeah, I know. I know. Well, it's, it's funny, right? Because only white guy on the elders. Uh, We're very diverse. Yeah, yeah, very, very diverse here. So, yeah. Yeah. Great. Well, thanks for sharing. Um, yeah. So likewise with Chris, um, I grew up in the Philippines, you know, like just to share kind of like in terms of cultural and speaking of the three Filipino people in the in the elder team, uh Grew up in the Philippines, grew up um, sort of non-practicing Catholic, kind of traditional family, and also grew up in a Catholic private school. So, you know, the kind of school where they would cut your hair if it got too long, oh, yeah. cut your nails if it got too long, you know, slapped your hand with the ruler if you didn't do your homework and things like that. Uh, so sort of where we grew up is very traditional and then... I uh, wound up moving out here in the U.S. where it's total culture uh, culture shock and total like totally different than some of the culture and traditions and kind of conventions that were acceptable down in the Philippines and then over here. So again, kind of a hybrid of those two cultures, and then kind of moved to. California, so a little bit of California lifestyle for me for about two years, and then moved to Las Vegas. Um, and and Las Vegas seems to be more of a melting pot, microcosm, 
type community than California. In California, like large cities can be one culture. Like, oh, what city did you live in, California? I lived in Orange County. Okay, um, that's so, why. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah. The part of LA that we lived in was pretty diverse. Yes, pretty diverse. Oh, yeah. yeah. So my experience was um, I lived in Orange County, where it was uh, Garden Grove where it's predominantly Vietnamese and then uh, moved to El Monte where it's predominantly Hispanic and then moved to West Covina where there were more Filipinos and so on and so on and so on. Yeah. And then arriving at Vegas where it's quite multicultural where, where I went to high school and then college. Yeah. So. Huh. I actually think Vegas is as multicultural as Southern California, but just because we are a smaller landmass, those distinctions are pushed closer together. Yes. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> right. So. But that's different. But even even coming from the Philippines and, and Guam to California and Vegas, it could have been a much more culture shock had you landed in the in like a flyover state. Potentially. Yeah. Because I, I do, right, it's... I mean, Sean can testify right to the South is a very, very different culture. And sometimes you're like, you know, you grow up there with, um, you know, all very, very similar, very like-minded. And there's kind of a, you're from where? What? Huh? Whereas I, I feel like on the West Coast, it's like, you know, there's a little bit, you're just used to it. I think that's the better way to say it. You're used to it. And at some point you find yourself going, oh, it's okay that there's different cultural backgrounds with you. Hmm. Yeah. Whereas I think in Oklahoma, it was kind of like, well, this is how we do things. Right, yeah. right. You almost have to learn other people's cultures too. Um, you know, and the, realizing that you have to do that, right? Like when you're removed from one, you're like a culture you're so entrenched in and then plopped into another not only are you adjusting to them and, and they adjust to you, it's like you're realizing that, oh, I also have to kind of assimilate here some way, somehow, you know. Yeah. Uh, so what did you guys, uh, what were your belief, sort of belief systems prior to being saved? I mean, generally, most of us when we're young, we don't know hmm. what our what our beliefs were. <clears throat> but... I mean, just briefly touch on what did you guys believe or explored before you guys, yeah. you know, were saved? Well, I, I think if you're Filipino, you probably are Roman Catholic. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then growing up in Guam, you know, even, even, even the locals were mostly Roman Catholic. And Roman Catholic was really ingrained in the culture uh, since the Spanish, Spaniard days. That's 300 years of Catholicism being ingrained in Guam. Um, so really, really uh, heavy culture of uh, Roman Catholicism, uh, at least the island-style version of it. And, you know, the more I learn, you realize that even the way Roman Catholicism refle- is reflected in different cultures is, is actually quite unique. Um, so, but uh, the Guam version, at least in my perspective, from my perspective, was very ritualistic um, and, you know, was catechized pretty young. And um, uh, always assume God was real, and you know, it reminds me of Romans one. Just yeah, it's true. Like we never had a problem believing that God existed. 
always assumed he existed, just didn't know him. So I always had this great desire to know God. And I always wondered, you know, watching American, when I say American movies being, you know, coming from the islands, like, uh, you don't really see the culture, you don't, you don't really know what Christianity is because you don't, you're not really exposed to it. So all you, all you know uh, of Christianity is that, you know, um, Christians seem like, at least in the movies, seem to have better music, <laughs> finer music and like have a better time. And I was kind of jealous about that. I was like, what is it? I, like, I didn't, I couldn't understand the difference. So I started meeting, you know, Christians in, in, in high school, different people who said they're Christian and they're, they're a little bit different. I couldn't figure out why though. And didn't really, wasn't really able to explain it to me. Um, yeah. So that's, that was, that's kind of the background. And until I, until I um, actually got saved in a Korean church on Guam, which is really interesting. Um, oh. Yeah. So I um, had a friend that actually knew, knew her Bible pretty well. So, and she, she uh, invited me to a Bible study with, with the church and learned the gospel. And uh, yeah, I was interestingly one of the first non-Koreans that, that uh, started attending as a member there. Mm. Yep. And Chris was uh, like number five. Close I think. second. Uh, he, I, think I, think your probably, sister, I think your sister was probably like, my sister the batch you. Yeah. <laughs> after you, and then it became me. Yeah, you're somewhere in there. Yeah. Second batch, second, third batch, something like that. Is it? Is it one of those that to be Filipino is to be Catholic? Like, is, is there a sense in which when you leave the Catholic Church to where the culture says, but you're Filipino? A little bit. Um, it's more of a family dynamic thing. Some families are more Roman Catholic than, than others. Uh, in my family, there were there were there the half of the family is more traditional. The other half was less traditional. Kind of like went with the flow of things. And so the more traditional uh, Catholics were kind of like surprised that my family was turning turning um, turning away from the Roman Catholic Church. So. Um, but but we, we were still family, so that's the thing. We weren't disowned. We we still are very close to them. Uh, we still love them. We still, when we go to Guam, you know, they're our they're the they're the people that we, we go there to see. We go there to see our family, yeah. really more than anything. Yeah. That's an expensive plane ticket to, go to yeah. Guam too. So, <laughs> right. but yeah, so yeah, that's kind of my background. Yeah, I actually um, my grandmother on my dad's side uh she was very uh a devout roman catholic i mean she was very religious uh and so my early childhood uh you know we grew up in in that um type of environment where it's, it's very um rigid very structured in a catholic kind of sense and very moralistic you know you you try not to be bad, right? It, you just follow the rules and be good and, you know, pray your rosaries and, um, and, and go, go to mass and, um, you know, just following, uh, really the, the Catholic church when I was early on. And then, uh, but that was in the Philippines. And then I moved to Guam, um, and still had that, um, Catholic kind of worldview, 
Uh, and so at some level, there is this, um, there is that uh, worldview of, of that there is, uh, there is a God in heaven who um, are looking at whether or not I'm good or bad. Uh, and so striving to just kind of live a, a moral um, uh, lifestyle, I guess, uh, and just... You know, just trying to be good, trying to get good grades, trying to, you know, not get into a fight, not doing drugs, uh, going to school. Um, so that kind of uh, just, that was kind of like growing up. And then, um, uh, and then you know, Gino kind of alluded to uh, when he um, became a Christian, invited me over to to church where he learned the gospel. And um, so I came and... Uh, it, you know, the pastor presented the gospel and, um, and that's where I came to, um, to understand what the gospel is and, and, and believed at that point. Um, but yeah, my background is very Catholic. I remember, um, when I started going to that Korean church, that, uh, Christian church, um, my mom was like, what's going on? Like, what, what's wrong with what? I mean, aren't we all the same? Don't we all believe the same God? And, um, and so she was pretty shocked, uh, but at some level, um, she she still allowed me to go. Um, and this was like towards the end of, of senior year, and I was leaving Guam to go to States anyway. Um, so there, there wasn't a lot of pushback, but there was this like confusion why um, why I was leaving the Catholic faith. Why, you know, why was there really any difference? And, you know, obviously my family members probably didn't understand it at that point. Um, but uh, as I kind of grew and was able to articulate the gospel a little bit more, then uh, they began to see that there is a little bit of a distinction, um, and um, and and that's that that's, that was the beginning. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. yeah. I think the main thing is like you you realize the only thing I knew the difference the main difference was that. One was saved by faith, one was saved by works. <laughs> yeah. I think that was the main distinction for me. Yeah, one was like I was striving, right? Well, yeah. the main distinction is like, hey, in, in the Catholic faith, I felt like I was striving to be good. And hopefully my good outweighed the bad. Right. Mm. Um, you know, so if, you know, um, if I did something wrong, then I'd have to do, f- you know, five things that was good or something like that to make up for that bad thing that I did. Um, Man, my my Catholic household was a lot more lenient. I did whatever I want. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I was, there was not really. My mom was awesome, sweet, and everything, but she uh, she couldn't control me. <laughs> she couldn't control my wildness. I wasn't that bad though. Ramil, did you grow up Roman Catholic? I did, um, but non practicing. My my parents were Catholic by tradition. Um, uh, my mom was in show business, and so it was kind of strange. Like, she would, she would practice, like, you know, during Christmas, they, they had this thing where you woke up super early and attended Mass and things like that, but not went on a regu- regularly on Sundays. And, of course, because it was a private Catholic school, you were Catholic there, you know. Um, but for the most part, I didn't understand what it, what it was all for. And when I came to the United States, um, the, the basically the Catholic tradition, even the idea of being good, didn't even really register with me. Um, 
but some way somehow my my oldest brother got me into just reading the bible like kind of regularly um so i started to do that and then when i used to live in roland heights in california there was a catholic church five or ten minute walk down from the house that we lived in and so i started to just attend because it felt nice like it felt like i was doing something right you know to sit there and and kind of like listen to do all the things you do in an in an hour long mass and then walk back home and it was like i would be the only one in my family who would do that on a sunday morning and it was strange but i did it anyway this was when i was in high school but because i'm also bent towards wanting to understand how everything works i really kind of picked up science too and and so i was like pseudo religious but also really into science because i thought that science explained things so there was something spiritual about the religion and then there was something intellectually stimulating about science and it just helped me to be more understanding of things so i was kind of a weird mutt you know where i gravitated towards both and then when i was in high school i met these two friends who had shared the gospel with me and my my questions were you know the the typical questions that coming from science you know and and things like that or even just philosophy right i would ask the about the fairness of salvation you know what about the guy in the deep recesses of the amazon who's never heard the gospel how is this fair for him you know questions like that i would ask them and they would just tell me the gospel again and strangely enough at the time i was going through a really really difficult family situation just revelations about my family that if if christ did not come into my life at that time would have shattered me and um i was about 16 or 17 and that was i i feel that was a time of grace from the lord because truly like the things that were being revealed to me would have would have kind of shattered my mind but but because my focus was on christ at the time i was able to um god brought me through it and uh and then you know one at one thing after another led to where where we are today were those two friends gino and romeo no they're actually two high school friends um they they were um a couple of friends who are uh female their their names were uh, shane and francis oh, so wow. yeah <laughs> when yeah, did we you were, meet gino and and chris um I met them in uh, later on in my college years. We were we were kind of going attending. Was I here in no, Vegas? No, I met you. I, I met you through Francis. You do? Oh yeah. So and, yeah. And so Shane, and Shane. I was going to high school with these two girls, and we went out to dinner one night, and they had shared with me the gospel and invited us to a church. Um, oddly enough, that was led by a female pastor, and. Uh, I was there. <laughs> I was there. There was Gino playing the piano. Trying to figure out, trying to figure out what church I was going to go to. So, so there's a long story after that. Yeah. <laughs> so, 
Uh, how about you, Jason? What What were your leanings? Oh gosh. <clears throat> well, if you're in Oklahoma, and you're you're a Christian, so uh, it's good. You know, you you do Christian things because that's what a good Oklahomans are. Uh, which is interesting, right? Because, um, <clears throat> you know, I I grew up in a circle where there were actually weren't very many Roman Catholics. Everybody was kind of quote unquote evangelical Christian, but. We went to a Methodist church and, uh, you know, I don't really remember anything about the Methodist church other than I hated Sunday school. And then we went to a different church, um, because my mom had, um, got to know the pastor in her master's degree. And so that, that was an okay church. And I was in youth group a little bit there, but again, it wasn't like the gospel was really taught. So at some point I became, um, uh, an atheist, and uh, just life kind of hit, hit some shambles and hit the, hit the wall. And this lady gave me the gospel in, um, in Barnes and Noble, and which is interesting because three days before I was praying, Lord, you know what? If you're there, you're going to have to save me because I can't do it on my own. She came and gave me the gospel and told me, you can't save yourself. You got to rely on Jesus Why is Christ. Why is the first time we heard the story? <laughs> Right, are you kidding me? See what I'm talking this? about? This is what I'm talking I mean, like, about. We, this is one version of Jason's salvation, I feel. Like. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think there's another story. Is this really the first time you've heard this? Yeah, I think so, right? Oh, yeah. Well, you know what? I did go through an atheist stage, too. I, I think we all... Did you Did you guys ever go through an atheist stage? No? I, I did. I was kind of mad at God or I was mad at the Catholic church more than anything. Cause I, I, I wasn't getting anything out of it. And I was like, no, nah, I must, God must be an alien or something like that. Or yeah, I don't know. Well, it was interesting because basically I asked the question, like you can't, you can't prove that God's there and the Bible's filled with contradictions and it, which is just the stuff that you, that unbelievers don't get from the Bible because they don't understand the context and the, and the covenants and they don't understand the difference between the Mosaic law and the new covenant. And, um, I think what also hurt was I had sat under a lot of Sunday schools <clears throat> where I would hear something and I would read the full story and go, wait a minute, that's not what uh, it's going on here at all. Uh, and one of the things that bothered me about Oklahoma Christianity was it was very much a, as long as you look the part, we're cool. And I kind of felt like it was a little bit of a, almost like a good old boys club, right? Cause you go to church and you're, you're sitting there and, you know, they're talking about Jesus and you're kind of like, okay, that's cool. And then, then afterwards guys are like, Hey dude, you're pretty cool. Monday night, we're going to go to a, a nudie bar. You want to go? And you're like, how, do, how does this fit with, <laughs> with, with salvation? Like, don't like, so, you know, that that's Oklahoma though. And <clears throat> you know, it's, it's a very quasi Christian culture. Uh, it's actually, I actually, going through seminary kind of realized, I don't think I'm wired to, to be in that culture. Like, I think I'd be too abrasive. Um, that's one thing I appreciate about the West coast is you can literally say, you know, do you believe in Christ? They're like, who? No, I'm not a Christian. I don't believe in any of that. And it's like, okay, well that's helpful because in Oklahoma, everybody believes in Jesus Christ, mm. you know? And so everybody celebrates the resurrection. Everybody celebrates, you know, Christ, but, but, but finding people, that actually bear fruit is a difficult ordeal. And so, uh, yeah, I went in, it's the funniest story, right? So Monday or Tuesday night we were partying and we were out and we were smoking and drinking and hanging out. 
And uh, I was just talking about how there's no way God exists. And a friend said, well, that's a pretty, like, that's a pretty tall thing to say. And it just said, you know, dude, you, you've become foolish. <clears throat> What's funny is this guy didn't even know the Lord. Um, <laughs> but, but so I just remember a night or two later just being like, all right, Lord, if you really, if you really exist, you're going to have to like, you're going to have to save me because I have no love for people, no genuine interest in people. Like I, like I don't even think you're there. So you're going to have to do something because I can't do it, which is weird, right? And so I went into work Friday morning to open the store, to open. I, I was a waiter at Don Pablo's, waited tables at a Mexican restaurant. <clears throat> and I went in, started opening, and the manager comes up. And it was weird because I thought, man, there's three openers. There's only two openers. And the manager goes, you're not here till 1130. It's 10 a.m. What are you doing? You're not on the opening schedule. And I went and looked, and I was like, wow, I swear I was an opener. And I'm the kind of guy that knew my schedule Still, I, Kyla can't get it. Like, how do you know your schedule in your head, but you don't write anything down? And she's always like, could you please put it in the calendar so I know it's there? But I just know my schedule. So I go over to Barnes & Noble, and I start reading a book by Lou Holtz, uh, the, you know, basically like one of those um, power-positive thinking books. And this lady just starts giving me the gospel. And I started crying, and it's like, wow. What? There are tears, too? Yeah, dude, I know. <laughs> I was emotional. What? Okay, something is up here. <laughs> Yeah, dude, isn't that crazy? So um, that lady, like, you know, and I just... Wait, what did she say? What did she tell you? Did she, she give just, you, like, the four-point gospel? Did she give you, no, like... No, you know, she was super charismatic. Oh, okay. But she just looked at me and she said, you know, you're looking okay. for answers. That's, praise God for charismatic. So, you know, they, yeah, they, she's, they'll walk up to you and start preaching the gospel. Honestly, <laughs> she was super annoying. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I mean, it was like, because I was trying to read my book. Like, leave me alone. I'm reading my book. And she just kept talking and she was like, you know, but but you have to believe in Jesus. Like if you don't. And so she just basically said like, you know, God, God loves you. He sent his son to die for you. And Jesus Christ is the way like you have to believe in him. And I looked at her finally and I said, I want to believe. And she just like looked at me and prayed with me. Wow. And then the thing is she, she sent was, me on my way. That was the first real miracle she experienced too. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? That lady, I'm thankful for her. Yeah. I have no idea. What's funny is I can look back to high school and think of two other people that tried to evangelize me in high school and one in college. And uh, I think back to those conversations and I go, you know what? What's funny is you have your friends in high school and I loved, uh, you know, I loved them at the time. And I, you know, you just lose, you lose contact with sometimes with your high school friends. And I certainly did, but I remember the, I remember that girl that gave me the gospel that was, a missionary kid. And I remember her guy even asking one day in a history class, do you believe in the Holy spirit? And I was like, no, <laughs> why would it? And she was like, really? Cause the Bible talks about the Holy spirit. And I was like, huh? And so it was interesting, but, but you know, I just kind of tuned around and did my own thing, but uh, it's, you know, you look back on that and you're kind of thankful for those people. And yeah. yeah, dude, it was, it was crazy because she did not, you know, she said, you need to go to a church. And I just went back to a Methodist church. And that, that was a long struggle of trying to find discipleship. And I, th I think that's maybe why that, that before seminary, I was like, you know what, Lord, no matter what, the problem in, in Oklahoma is there's no discipleship. Uh, 
Okay. And so that was super like that has influential, super influential in yeah. my own life of, you know what guy, the problem is guys mm. aren't having real conversations about Christ with guys and they need to have real conversations about Christ with, with each other, mm. including issues like sex and, you know, self-control and other things that were not advocated in among leaders in quote unquote Christian churches in Oklahoma. Right. Right. And so, right. You have, you have guys who are probably steeped in pornography or whatever ever in leadership. And they don't want to talk about these things that you genuinely have questions about. Cause you're trying to wrestle through the text and they're just like, well, whatever God loves you. And you're like, well, hmm. yeah, that's true. But how do I navigate this text? Ah, don't worry about it. Don't be so judgmental. Don't be so hard on yourself. And you sit there at the time and you're like, what kind of leader tells another person this? Yeah. What's it, you know, it's interesting too. Like number one, how God draws us. Like, and you know, you look back at the history of all those people that kind of prayed for you, talk, spoke to you, told, told you about Jesus. But for whatever reason, there was that one person that you finally, you know, said yes to that gospel presentation for whatever reason, or you read the Bible and you got, you know, you understood something that you never understood before. Right. And then, um, number two, um, uh, the oh, what was number two? I'll <laughs> oh, see. This is my problem. Type B personality, Type B and, personality. Short, and short and short term memory, yes. very short. Okay, it was a very, number two one. It'll come back, but it was very very important. Um, I was thinking about the um, yeah, I was thinking about how God kind of draws people, and um, uh, I don't know. Um, yeah, it's interesting because um, <clears throat> you know my my college buddies. Oh, authority of scripture. Oh my yes. goodness. Yes. Yeah, go. no, that's that's, what I was, that's where I was going to go. Yep. The fact that you can be saved and not even realize all these different doctrines that are so important that we hold so dear today. Yeah. But like all you knew was that Jesus saved you and died for your sins. That's all you knew. You didn't know that the Bible was actually the authority and where you get all the answers and you realize you have to obey it. But you just knew that Jesus saved you. So I just... And I knew the Bible was authoritative. Yeah, I did, yeah, see, I didn't even realize that fully. Yes. Like, I just kind of like, I knew it was, no no one ever has ever said it that way. Yes. But I just knew that that's where we can know about Jesus yeah. or know about the gospel. Yeah. Um, yeah, but to say it's authoritative in every area of life, that's that was like a, I learned that later, I think. See, and that's this is probably the part that you have heard, right? Because in college, at some point, you know, I'm kind of doing my own thing and had given up on the Methodist church and was going to what is what ends up being one of the first TV churches, right? Multi-campus TV churches where the pastor is, um, you know, live streaming into other facilities. And that church annoyed me for a lot of reasons, too. And now at the time, I didn't have the, the acumen to understand why, but now I do. Um, but what's interesting is <clears throat> Joe Scott and I, college buddies start saying, Hey, we're Christians. Why don't we ever do anything? Why don't we read the Bible together? Why don't we talk about this? And so we start reading the Bible together. This is the story. I know. Yeah. This is the part, you know, yeah. right? So we're sitting on the back porch every night till two in the morning, smoking a pack of cigarettes. You know, I'm drinking coffee, of course, bad coffee, but it's a, it's a shame that I later. Sanctification. Yes. Yeah, so it wasn't time. sanctified. Yes. yes. Yep. Uh, gave up the cigarettes. Uh, uh, but, but Joe, Scott, and I, you know, would hang out, Scott with his Mountain Dew, Joe with his Dr. Peppers, and we would, we would talk theology, and we'd read scripture and talk about it. And it was like, why, why aren't we getting this in a church? And so that, that's where 
uh, once your Bible knowledge starts to grow, and then you start, you can't fully put your finger on it, but at some point I was like, the Methodist church is not, you know, we're bringing our Bibles, but we're not talking, we're not actually opening this thing. And so that's, at some point I became to be like, well, I want to be with people that actually want to read their Bible together. And that's when I met Randy Faulkner, who was a pastor there in Oklahoma, and uh, he discipled me and was able to to start speaking into that in himself. Mm. Yep. Crazy, huh? Yeah. Cold and and the, the product of a cold evangelism. Discipleship. Yeah. Praise God. It's, it's awesome to hear, right? Because we often hear um, stories from people in the congregation of how they got saved and all of that kind of stuff. And it's just great to hear it from each other. Um, kind of like what, what your journey was, you know, um, real quick good? though, are we good on? Oh yeah. But, but I have an answer. So we went ahead and asked Amber and Caitlin, okay. Uh, which of the elders are type B and which are type A? And here was Amber's response. Ramil and G are type A and B 50-50. Jason is type A with certain things. Otherwise, James and Chris are type B. (laughs) That's basically what we got. That's kind of what we said. Yeah. Uh, Then Caitlin, who in the phone is actually the organizer, says that uh, Ramil is type A, Chris, Gino, and Jason are B. But Uh. you can each be A about certain things. And R can be B sometimes too. Right. Okay. So, um, yeah, there you go. There's from the staff. I think we're type A in our strengths. Maybe that's what it is. Mm. You know Mm. what I mean? Well, I'm sure Caitlin hears it because there there have been many times after service where I'll say, hey, I want to tweak this or tweak that or this, this, like, I want to work on this or work on that. I think this needs to be talked about. We need to find solutions. So, for me, I don't know, Caitlin. We could probably text her and ask her, uh, ask them if what those certain things are, if they want to give them. But my guess would be it's those things. Hmm. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. Awesome. So okay, yeah. There's there's the answer from from the staff. Yeah, it seems to be based on their experiences of us, right? Um, you know, so great. Yeah, I mean that confirms some of our theories, right? Yes. Which is good. Cool. Um, great. Well, I think, you know, probably the last few questions here, uh, I'm going to modify one, which is I, I all of a sudden got curious about two things now instead of just the one side. Um, how did you wind up, you know, doing ministry? And what's your ministry education background? Hmm. And your outside of ministry education background that tend to influence kind of the way you think through and do ministry. Okay. Well, that's a big answer. I know. Are, are we doing a, uh, this is a marathon um, podcast? Yeah, like or is that's, this, uh, uh, this is a marathon podcast. I, right. I don't want to. Where are we at yeah. anyway? Yeah. yeah. I guess it doesn't matter at this point because we're just marathoning. Yeah, we're, we're just rolling. I mean, I don't know. Um, hold on. I can tell you where we are. If you're listening, feel free to, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Look I mean, most, up. I mean, hopefully you can listen at 1.5 speed. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, 2.5. Wow. Yeah. That's what podcasts are for. Yeah. Exactly. Long form conversation. Yeah. This is, this is going to be our first Joe Rogan podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Four hours. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I don't know how to answer that, Ramil. It's, you know, because 
you, we talked a couple night. We talked a couple weeks ago for quite a while. Probably annoyed our wives with this one, mm-hmm. uh, which is what we do. But um, <laughs> but thankful you know, for our wives. Yes, of course. With our yes. Yeah. Chelsea's like, oh, he's talking to Jason. I'm just going to go sleep on the couch. <laughs> and Kyla, she, I think she was in bed by the... Uh, well, no, she was out of town. Yeah, that that, that, that helped. So, um, you know, there's... When I when I went to... There's, there's actually three things I want to talk about. I want to talk about umpiring uh, college, and I want to talk about... And the only reason I want to talk about these is because you have you have mentioned that, that you think these are important to know about me. So um, I want to talk about umpiring college and my ministry call. So when I went to seminary, I didn't know I was called to ministry. Um, I was pretty sure that I just wanted to know how to study the Bible better. And it, while I was in seminary, they kept they kept asking me to lead things. And I was like, this is crazy. And then finally they were like, no, you need to, you need to be in ministry. And I was like, this is okay, cool. Like that's kind of where my heart was, but I didn't want to like push it. I didn't want to be where God didn't want me to be. And so, um, my, my background, right. Was I just went to grace church with the desire to serve. And I was told out of the gate, look, seminary students don't lead adult Bible studies. And so when they asked me to lead the Pasadena Bible study, I was one of three SIM students out of the 200 Bible studies leading an adult Bible study. I was the, I was the rare exception. And the only thing I can think is because I didn't, I didn't, you know, I just wanted to serve. And later you look back and you go, you know what, that, right. That probably has influenced us in many ways as, as elders, right? We're like, Hey, do you just want to serve? Right. It's not about, I, I didn't care about teaching. You know, there were other SIM students. I actually, partioned up the teaching quite a bit. I just felt like we, we need to serve people. And so the cool part about that Bible study is, I don't know if you know, but like Phil and Sam and a bunch of those guys are leading and helping lead other Bible studies now. Yes. And a lot of them have moved on into, into very like into leading their own Bible studies or co-leading and, and doing now what we trained, what we were a part of their training. I don't want to take full credit for it, but you know, because that's the spirits work in their life. But so my background, I probably should mention a fourth thing. My background is interesting because all through life, I felt like I look back, I look at at where we are today and who I am today and partly inspired by our conversation, Ramil, there's that you never realize what you're learning waiting tables while you're waiting tables. You don't realize, you know, and you guys know me that I'm, I'm sarcastic from time to time. I'm snarky, uh, I like to have my, my sense of humor is a little different, but one thing you learn waiting tables is when to, and when not to be that way towards people, because if you're going to be a good waiter, you have to pick up pretty quick on social cues of people that are at the table, you know? So if four, I always joke that if there were, if there were like four women that came in and sat in your section and they were in their fifties and, and you could tell they were all married and they were out having a women's night, like you knew they, they wanted the waiter to be a little fun. So I would be fun around them. And some people you knew they didn't want to talk to you. So you'd quietly drop their drinks off and move on. And, you know, you look back at that and you go, you know, that really did prepare you for ministry because you have to kind of learn how to read people and you have to learn how to ascertain and then reply while leading them to, to the goal, which is to get their food, 
really the, the goal of a waiter is to, for them to leave and to enjoy it, right? The goal of the waiter is not just to serve food. You want them to leave because you want to flip that table and make money off the next table. So you don't want them there all night. And again, that's not an insult to them. <clears throat> but the other part-time job I had at the same time was I was an umpire. And so I umpired fast pitch softball. And that was, inter- that was interesting too, because there you have very specific rules that not only do you have to learn the rules, but you have to learn how to be a good umpire. You know, you can, you can play, I played baseball for a long time and you can know the sport as a coach and as a player and not know the sport as an umpire. And some of the best umpires I worked with never played baseball, never played softball, knew nothing about the sport, but because they understood what it meant to be an umpire, they were phenomenal. And one of the things I think umpiring helped me realize is that there's two sides to every story that, Coaches are going to be emotional. Don't be offended by it. Fans are fans. They're going to be fans. Don't be offended by it. Have thick skin. Tune them out. Focus on the next pitch and move on. Because it does not do you any good to dwell on. And and every umpire misses a call, right? And so if you're sitting there in the third inning thinking about that strike or that ball you missed in the first inning, you are not going to umpire well. And so I learned, move on. And Sean could probably, Sean, well, you guys had an acronym at Clemson for that, right? Where you, hey, look, the next play matters. You get that last play out of your head. The last play's over. Move on. Yeah. Uh, what was the acronym? Forget it and drive on. Yeah. So I think, I think they used, yeah. So, um, right, because at some level, it doesn't do you any good. But, but as an umpire, you, you start to realize, okay, these people are who they are. The bias is going to be there when that's your kid at the plate. You want to, every parent wants a smaller zone when their kid is at the plate and a bigger zone when their kid is on defense. That's just how it's going to be. And that, and you know, um, so coaches come up to me, I'm so sorry about that parent. And I would, I literally had no clue what they were talking about because I learned to tune them out because if you're listening to them, you're not doing your job. And so, right. Umpiring was really helpful. And then the third part was though I have an English degree and though that has probably influenced me in some ways. My other part of my degree was that student was the student government that I was in. And I was on, honestly, my resume for student government and student organizations is, is a couple pages long to the point to where I actually quit putting all of, all of the boards that I was on on my resume because it was too much. And I just, you know, I was, I was on statewide boards. I was on, I was a student representative on, on two or three boards at the university for faculty, which is just weird, right? You're one of two students sitting in with eight faculty having a conversation about something just because their bylaws said they had to have a student representative and I was their guy. And so why were, why were being on these boards attractive to you? Did you just kind of, <laughs> um, those, these boards were like never on my radar in college. It's like right. I just needed to finish college. Yeah. I think it was because I saw how they were important to the university and I was about making the university better. Okay. And I was about making the student government better. And I was about operating the student government in a way that was fair for every organization while at the same time getting work done and getting things accomplished. Mm. And so, um, but I, so if there were political parties in the student government, I was in the minority party. And Mm. so I had to learn how to operate among the majority and make things work and still get things done while being on the opposite side of the fence to the other three people for my tenure as the president of the Senate. Mm. 
And then I was president of a of an intercollegiate legislature, which was uh, a mock legislation filled up of students around the state. And all of those things taught me something. Because again, in college, I'm now a board of director of an organization. If we get sued, I'm I'm going to court. And that taught me a lot. And it's interesting because I think it was in those student organizations where I realized, one, they're volunteer, right? So nobody made them be there. So you had to learn to work with people that wanted to be there. And that's when I began to see, look, you have some people that want to be here that share these common interests with you, which was different from high school for me. Because in high school, there weren't a lot of kids interested in the same things I was interested in in high school. And so... But my, my, those, those desires carried into college where now I was in position where I could actually put action into things that I cared about. And what I learned in college is, you know what? You're leaving. Train up the people behind you so that when you leave, it's a better run organization. And that was my philosophy, which interestingly enough, listening to Rockefeller, John D. Rockefeller's biography, that was his business practice. He told all of his employees Find somebody and train them to do your job, and then you go do something that betters the company. Mm. And that, and I was like, that's totally was my philosophy in student government and in all these things because you're only going to be there a year. Mm-hmm. And so when I left, when I went in there, the leadership team in the Senate was me and one other person. When I left, there were eight people, and I just worked with them and let them make decisions and empowered them to make decisions and educated them with why I did what I did and told, taught them everything I knew over that course of that year and left. And I think the Senate was in a better place. So that for some reason that was just ingrained in me. And that's what some of the older students had taught me. And it's just, it's interesting. Did did you uh, learn this in retrospect or are you learning this uh, as a believer? Do you know what I mean? Like, are you, are you thinking about this like now? Cause this translates over to how you think about raising up leaders, raising up, uh, you know, the the next kind of leadership in the church, right? You're, you're, you're wanting to, um, invest in those who actually want to be there and not waste all the energy and time. Not not that people who are in the fringe are not worthy of time. It's right. just that the majority of our resources resources should be spent on who's yes. available right now. Yeah, because Second Timothy two two says, um, you know, Paul says to Timothy, find men, find faithful men who are able to teach and entrust them with the things that I have taught you. And so it is a biblical principle. It was a biblical principle even. Um, well, you know, for part of the time I was an unbeliever and for part of the time I was a believer, Hmm. but excuse me, when I became a believer, I got out of the politics because I was kind of annoyed with some of the ways I dealt with, was willing to deal with things. And I didn't like the, some of the integrity game you had to play. So looking back on it, there were some things I did that I could say, you know what? Uh, the broken clock's right twice. And some of the things I learned work. Mm -hmm. And then there were other things where it's like, you know what? You didn't need to do it that way. But God was gracious, so huh. it's a it's a both end. That's interesting. I mean, because I waited tables too. <laughs> I did not learn what you learned. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about what you learned. Uh, yeah. Do you know? Well, well, I think this is where like how our how God made us different too. Like you know, Jason just have Jason naturally does. I think he's gifted with uh, with not, with natural leadership skills, uh, and at some level, like I, I see. Uh, in different uh, things that I've done, uh, where you know, I don't, I don't know if I'll, I end up, I end up leading something, but I was like, not necessarily because I, I, you know, I thought about leadership things. You know, I just kind of, 
uh, ended up doing things that were wasn't like in the leadership role. But in, in my restaurant experience, I feel like my goal was, um, uh, and I learned this from my. I think it's because also my managers and a lot of the, a lot of the managers I worked with were very people oriented, uh, customer oriented, and so. Um, they were like, the goal was just to like, you know, I, I still remember this phrase too. And, um, every experience like has to be an excellent, excellent experience, you know? Yes. Um, now learning that uh, what you're talking about, you know, some people wanted to be left alone. Some people wanted the, the extra attention. Some people wanted to have a good time. Um, that took some time for me to learn. Yes. Um, and so, but I, I just remember, I, try, I think I overdid it sometimes because I wanted to, I wanted to make their experience excellent, you know? Yes. Uh, and, and it's kind of different in Guam because a lot of, I, li- I worked in a tourist spot too. So it's like everyone there was mostly tourist, you know, yeah. usually. And then you had people who are locals who I befriended and, you know, I was, you know, uh, when you befriend those people, it's like, they always ask for you, you know, you're, yeah. you're, they become your regulars and, and so that that experience was was great. I, th- I think it taught me just number one. It taught me hard work, right? Like working in a restaurant is is not easy money. Um, lots of hard work. Um, and then secondly, um, it just taught me to love people all, just all different. Yeah. You know, no matter where you're from. Like I just love knowing their story and um, like knowing about them. And, and anytime I can engage them in that way, that that always. That, that that made work fun for me. Yeah. So I don't know if that that's such a different thing, well, but like <laughs> it's interesting too because there there's one key fact that I that I haven't mentioned, and it's this that most of those organizations I were involved with were from the ground floor. So when I got into to college, the student government had just been handed authority from the university to distribute money to the student organizations. So what that means is before I was involved, the student organizations, the faculty, the, the basically administration would give each organization like $5,000 <clears> or money to do their thing. Well, now the students were distributing that money. So we had like $1.2 million to distribute to student organizations. Oh, wow. And so now we are, our signatures and our work is putting that $1.2 million into different student organizations. Coupled with that was I was a founder of a fraternity and the second president of the fraternity. So why, why that's a key factor is because you're, you're getting involved at the ground level. Mm-hmm. You can't expect things to be excellent at the ground level. So you have to have a vision of where you want to be. And at some point, if you wait for everything to be perfect, you don't do anything. So you kind of realize, you know what? In order for this to work... We have to start now and amend as we go. Hmm. And that's exactly what we did. We started young and we amended as we went. And as we went, we made things better. So the fraternity, the guys I was with, were they were not your normal fraternity guys. None of us wanted to rush. We didn't want to be hazed. We didn't want to be belittled. We didn't want we didn't like the party life. Like even as an unbeliever, I was not really into partying that much. Um, because mainly because I didn't want my money to go to alcohol and I hated being out of control and so um, of myself. And so we were, we, we knew we wanted a different fraternity, but that doesn't just, you know, you look back, you don't start a fraternity with guys who are not fraternity guys and expect them to be able to recruit 
guys because guys that are coming in are looking for the fraternity life and they hear you and they're like you you you're not what you you you're what so it was it was a different approach and we really had to build up leaders guys who would stick with it and you know you still pay dues as a fraternity member so at some level right if you don't really care about the organization you quit paying dues and you leave because you don't want to put money here mm. And so we had to learn how to operate that. And it was, you know what, you look back on the, you know, I look back on my life and go, you know, I didn't feel like I was called a church plant, but at some point you realize, wow, God has put me in some very unique situations. Every company I worked for, um, when I took that job, had a change of CEO within six months. So I have been a part of Kinko's, Don Pablo's, Harrigan's, um, and the bank, all four of those had major changes within six months. I've seen, right. What Ramil saw when, when his company was acquired, I've seen that from the ground floor. And at some point you have to lo- you have to look back and learn from that. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you, you either, you either at some point realize change is inevitable or you dig in and you're the kind of person that can't accept change and you get frustrated by change. But the reality is not all change is bad. Some change is good. And we talk about that, right? Because how you shepherd 50 people is different from how you shepherd 100 people. And it's different from 150. And it's different from 400. And so you can't, you know, you can keep your core principles while at the same time doing, using your, you know, doing your core principles in a way that's better serves 400 people. Right. So you, you have to know where change has to happen because you're ultimately trying to serve your principles as an organization to the people. Yeah. And that's, that's hard for people too. Cause even as our church grows, people who are, we're so used to having, you know, 30 people in the congregation. Yes. And knowing everybody, knowing everybody and struggling with that growth and not really knowing what to do and how to, yeah. how to like walk with, you know, walk alongside the church through that growth. Yes. So that's a, always an interesting. Yeah. And, and yet change is inevitable. Right. right. And you either, you either change or you, or you start dying. Mm. Mm. And so you've got to, you've got to, you and, but it, it takes a conviction on what your core principles are. Mm-hmm. And I think that's how, and maybe that's those, those years inform me that, <clears throat> um, leadership is as much about teaching as it is about saying, Hey, here's where we need to be. Mm-hmm. because you have to teach people in your organizations what you're trying to be, where you're trying to go and, and what you're doing and what you need to change to get there, mm-hmm. you know? And so you're trying to prepare people for the future. You know, the Senate, hopefully today at UCO is a better Senate because of things we did 15 years ago in college. I mean, I don't know. Right. I mean, it, you know, the thing is you do something and Ecclesiastes says somebody comes along and ruins it. And that's just how it goes. Yep. But while you're there, yeah, you be there and you be the best you can be. And then you move on. And that's what we tried to do. Yeah. I, that's, that's, that's fair. Uh, I, I even just thinking about churches in general, like I think it's, it, it's not realistic to assume that church is going to be there like 200 years from now. Right. I, I just, 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 that Ecclesiastes thought, you know, um, that does happen and you can't control it sometimes. Right. So I wish you could. Yeah. It's God's church. There, there really aren't any guarantees and you just kind of do your best and 
you know, as you say, like comfort, a little bit of comfort in the chaos, right? You, you kind of have to be able to shift yeah. as, as things change. And that's what I've seen kind of, you know, operating with you guys is that openness. There's never like this, this is just the way we do it now. And this is how we're always going to do it. Yeah. And that's, that's a, that's a beautiful thing. And that's part of the reason, like my curiosity is like, where's that coming from? How, how right. are you guys built that way? You know, right. why is it that you're okay with that? Like a lot of people are not comfortable with that. Right. They, they, they say, you know, like, like, like Chris being in the military, probably there's a certain rigidity there, but is there an element of creativity too? Right. Right. Um, and there are people who cannot, they, they just can't function and it's very difficult for them to pivot and do these kinds of things. So, right. I mean, well, and that's, and knowing too, like, we're not going to stop preaching the word. Mm. We're not going to stop being word centered. We're not going to stop teaching the word at Bible studies. We're not going to stop fellowship, but understanding that those are pillar level things that you're, you're, you might have to change the way you do Bible studies. You, you're right. We went from one to three and at some point we probably need five or six. Yeah. But in order to have that, you got to have leadership. You got to have guys that know what you're doing well enough to entrust them because we can't be everywhere at the same time. So, you know, you need God to raise up leaders and you take those people that, that are really interested in investing and you, you build off of those people. Hmm. So I think I just learned something about myself and <laughs> my work experience <laughs> is reflecting on everything. Uh, yeah, I, I think what I, 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 and I think this also just happens to, I think this is the creative side of my brain. I'm like, uh, I'm way too comfortable with improv, 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 improvisation, improvisation. Is that right? Yep. Impro- yeah. I was trying to say improvisational. There you go. Uh, uh, improvising um, uh, that it, it, to the point where like most people wouldn't be comfortable with it. Like I'm yeah. always like ready to improvise, and that's kind of how even I do music. You know, I don't right. like I don't play the I don't play the same song the same way every single time because uh, I'll get bored uh, playing the same way every every single time. So I'm okay with the the imp- improvising on the fly and trying. For me, it's like it's about finding solutions. Because we have the principles, we know what we need to do. The question is how we're going to get from point A to point B. And in discipleship, it's it's always that, and this is what I usually try to explain to people, this person is here, they need to get here. Every single person is different in, 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 in how they're made up and how God made them. And getting them from point A to point B is going to look different than another person. Yes. So there's a little bit of creativity that happens there because you have to think through. Yes. And try to solve problems. Try to try to help them uh, jump hurdles. And you know, yes. um, just you're ministering to them by teaching who God is. But for them, it, it it's going to look different and how they're going to apply it in their lives. So. I don't know if that makes sense, but I just... I no, it totally it's, makes sense. It, it it totally makes sense. Maybe that's why I work good with Jason, because I could roll with him anytime. Yeah, you can roll with him. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you need you to go improvise. Left All right. Yeah. Gonna you want to go, right? go left today? Let's go left. Yeah. Yeah. Go right? Let's do it. Yeah. I thought, you know, Jason, as you were talking, I thought that was very helpful. Um, just to see, you know, you can recall how 
even in your early walk with the Lord or even before uh, you knew the gospel, that, that God was training you, right, to have these certain principles or to operate in a certain way and to, um, you know, to mold your leadership style almost. Right. Uh, and even like with Gino, you know, being involved in music in, in high school before uh, you were even um, saved and uh, how now the Lord uses you uh, in, in the music ministry. And I thought that's, that's um, you know, that's, you know, as Ramil would say, that that's, that is helpful uh, to even understand why you do what you do, right? Why, um, why you think, why you're okay with changes, why yes. you're okay with, hey, that's um, water under the bridge, let's move on, right? If yeah. you even want... And the funny thing is, even when, uh, you know, there are things that, that we mess up or, you know, or I mess up, you're just like, okay, you know, like, let's move on, right? Talk it up. Let's learn together. And then, and then let's go, um, continue on. And I thought that's helpful. And even, uh, you know, as I look back, um, I realize, uh, you know, cause I, I moved around, right? When I joined the military, I went to North Dakota, got involved in the church there and then, um, went to Europe and got involved in the church there. And what I realized is that um, just the value of, uh, for some reason, I find myself uh, being friends with people who are, are involved in ministry. Um, and, and they become really good friends of mine. And I realized that uh, because these are faithful men who love the church and, and love the word and love God, uh, helps me just to um, uh, to join in ministry, right? It's so easy. It's like I find myself just surrounded with people who are in ministry. And so because my friends are in ministry, you know, I end up being in ministry as well. And um, just the value, I think, for me is just seeing how friendship um, is helpful. Um, yes. Even when, so, you know, I got my undergrad online, Right, my biblical uh, minor in biblical studies, undergrad online. I got my master's online, um, but to navigate my studies in a vacuum and, and just me with um, uh, with people um, in my class online, I don't think would have been as helpful. Because I remember early on when I was in my undergrad, right? I had Gino and, and you, Ramil, like kind of help me navigate what I'm learning. And then when I went to um, got my master's, you know, that's where Jason came in. And, you, you know, I was when I'm going through whatever classes I'm going through, um, it was you guys that was like just constantly having a conversation with me and helping me to think through uh, just the lessons that I'm learning. Yeah. Right. When it, whether it's apologetics, hermeneutics, you know, Isaiah or whatever book um, we were tackling at that time, it was really because I had friends who um, were learned men in scriptures and, and whose life I can look and say, hey, I, you know, I want to imitate them as they strive to imitate Christ. Um, I thought that was really helpful uh, for me. I, when I look back, I was like, the Lord just puts me around godly men um, who are in ministry. And so I learned to do ministry by watching them. Yeah. I think you said something there too that's really helpful, <clears throat> right? You pursue excellence. You want to be excellent, but it doesn't always mean you're going to be excellent. And so you learn from those mistakes. 
And that, that's something you learn at some point. If you micromanage other people to where no mistakes are made, then the people around you really don't learn. And if you have people that want to be good, that want to be excellent and want to do it well, then you let them make mistakes because all those mistakes are, are just learning opportunities for them to grow more. And it may, it may sometimes set you back some, a little bit. That's okay. Cause you, you actually did not get set back. You became stronger because everybody learned together and that, that, Right. The learning process isn't much a part about being excellent as it is to be excellent. And if you expect other people to always be excellent, then your understanding of the doctrine of depravity and unbelief is is really not as robust as it should be because all of us are going to make mistakes. And that's just how it goes. And so you're trying to learn, you're trying to grow, you're trying to work through those but, but pursue the excellent, right? There's a difference between somebody that doesn't care and somebody that does care but doesn't know what they're doing. I'll take the care person who knows less than the apathetic know-it-all mm. because the apathetic know-it-all isn't really going to be there to help you. He's not going to be in the trenches. He or she's not going to be in the trenches. And they're, they're obviously, most of the time, they're not even going to try to learn and grow. They're going to be, a lot of those people get upset when things don't go the way they want them to, and they walk out the door, and they were not, they were not really instrumental to your organization because, you know, it's helpful to learn together, and that it, it takes some, that's hard to do for some people. Mm. Yeah, that's a, that's really what ironing iron sharpening iron means, right? It's it's um, yeah. as you learn, and it doesn't happen in a vacuum; it happens in community. Yeah, uh, very important. Um, we we continue to learn all the time. Yes, uh, you know. Hopefully, the Lord's giving us wisdom as we grow too, right? Because yeah. things just we just need the wisdom as we try to solve problems and and come up with solutions to different things. Yeah. So, yeah, that iron sharpening iron is so important, and and that's what it means to learn together. I think that's that's what we're talking about. Yeah. Here. Well, and even Chris said it. The second thing, and and this was that that book Bander, Bandersnatch, which is about the Inklings, was so helpful for. Was you have Lewis and Tolkien and a handful of writers getting together talking about their writings, but they didn't sit down around the table and open a book and start reading. They sat down at the table. They poured their tea because they're British. And then they would light their pipes because they're because they because they're intelligent, <laughs> sanctified, <laughs> and, and uh, they would smoke. And then Lewis would say, "Well, does anybody have something for us to read today?" And what's interesting is, for a very Type A checklist person, you just spend an hour fellowshipping. You didn't get anything done, mm-hmm. but the reality is, you got a lot done because there's a difference. That, you know, I'm a fan of a plurality of leaders, not just one guy. And what happens is your your team around that table gets to know each other so that communication is better. Because, you know, when you got somebody from Coweta, Oklahoma, who grew up on a farm sitting next to somebody from Edmond, Oklahoma, which is as white upper middle class as it gets, <clears throat> and they're able to communicate and talk to each other. At, on a one-on-one level, not necessarily about why they're at the table together, but just get to know each other, that fellowship ends up, the, the, the fruit of the fellowship comes to the table and makes the table more fruitful. 
Mm-hmm. And that's, that's why I think one of the big holes in the church is, is the lack of fellowship because we, we undermine, we don't realize how helpful that really can be in discipling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm, I'm almost comfortable saying fellowship is friendship because, yes. um, you know, friendship, right? The, the, the end goal of friendship is to point to Jesus Christ. Yes. And, um, you know, it doesn't have to be formal. Right. It's actually mostly informal. Yeah. Just enjoying people. Yeah. Uh, for who they are and learning them and yeah. finding ways that you can help them better. Yeah. That, to me, that's friendship. Yeah, I agree. Well, and how, how many things do we learn about parenting in a friendship conversation, not in a seminar? Right. Yep. All right. Ramil right. picked up the mic. But, you know, in, in addition to that, you know, it, no matter what your view of yourself is and how great you think your mind is, you have limitations. And, and if you're like the whole cliche, no man is an island, if you're going to think that you're sufficient in and of yourself to accomplish all the things you need to accomplish as a child of God, to honor the Lord and, and, and Christ, um, you, you're going you're gonna to basically fall short of that in, in so many ways. And there's something beautiful about those around you who can give you ideas and thoughts that you had just, your brain capacity just cannot you know, get, you know what I mean, in and of yourself. And this is how God uses other people. You know, for example, I'm going to make this official so that when people ask questions, they know now to just tune into the podcast. Like, I'm the only elder here who does not have formal education or training uh, in terms of seminary or scriptures or like a Bible degree and things like that. And I do heavily rely on the rest of you guys for a lot of the technical knowledge of scripture to be the gutter because we're like where I come from, for example, like my drive to ministry is, is people, but it's people in this way. Right. Um, Like I came from a broken home and that comes with a lot of baggage. Right. And then I grew up, consistently being bullied like since I was like five years old till I was like 14 years old consistently and so one of the things that I've come to see is pain in people and some of the things that people carry and some of the things that they carry for the rest of their lives that ruin them and one of the things that had become apparent to me is that the gospel is the answer to hopelessness, to heartbreak, to pain, to confusion, to why can't I like, like pull myself together, like internally and externally? Why can't I keep a job? Why can't I keep my family intact and all of those kinds of things? And I'm not just talking about the pragmatic sort of practical truths that can, can come from scripture, but I'm talking about the true hope in the gospel that becomes your anchoring point so that you can operate in a way that, that allows you to honor God in your life. And, and so that has become the driving force in, in my wanting to learn more about scripture and wanting to understand the human condition more. So everything I know about the Bible and scripture is towards 
one thing, which is to like look at a broken person and see how can I help that person see Christ, have their hope in Christ, and then learn how to operate in this world to honor him. And that's all I ever really wanted, you know, in ministry, right? And so uh, in, in so many ways, like I draw from you guys to fill in the gaps of, of where I'm lacking in, in my knowledge and my understanding and my limitations and all of those kinds of things. And so, uh, and anything that I've ever learned in ministry, I learned through trial by fire, right? right. The three of like um, Gino, myself and Chris actually got to do youth ministry and college, young college ministry together for quite a long time, made so many mistakes and all kinds of things. But, but you learn and you learn with working with people over the years and, and all of, all of those kinds of things. So, um, there really is a beauty in, in knowing and understanding people and especially people that, that you're working with because they, they help you really to honor Christ in a way that you might not have before, you know? Well, I think it's helpful for you too, because, because of your background in terms of just like family dynamics and growing up and it not being the normal situation and other stuff, right? Like it has helped you peel back layers in working with people and realizing that not every situation is that same cookie cutter, mm-hmm. which is really helpful because um, I think that's like right Oklahoma background. Everybody's a cookie cutter, but it's not that simple. I, w- I really, I mean, I wish it were that simple, but it's really not. And so because all of us have enough unique differences in our background, it explains oftentimes why we're in the situations we're in, whether, whether, we are the recipient of somebody else's sin or whether we have, we have been a contributing to the fire of that sin, you know? And so, yeah, it's, it's definitely, I mean, I think anybody that knows you, Ramil has seen that and has had that kind of conversation with you to where they have learned from you and been encouraged by you because you're not just like, well, here's the cookie cutter. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and people, there are layers you, you, helping people to disentangle their own their own mind to even recognize where sin and pride can be right um in order for them to see that where the light of the gospel can can shine in those in those areas and so you know i think and then to circle back around right this is why i love hearing people's stories because they truly it truly helps us to understand the person that's in front of us. Um, And if I'm ministering to someone, I would want to know everything I can know about them so that I can best serve them with what they need. And I'm not taking, uh, giving them something that's like bouncing off the surface they don't even need that. Right. They need something else. And, and because I don't know them well enough, I can't give them what they need. So, um, you know, understanding people to that degree, to, to, the, to, the, uh, to our capabilities and, and given the time that we have and all of those kinds of things, right? Because obviously um, we're always limited on time and all of those kinds of things, but, but striving for that. Is, has always been helpful to me personally 
and I've I've learned about myself that I I work best at a one-on-one uh intimate level uh more than more than anything right yeah it's helpful yep <laughs> well i think anybody's had that private conversation with you has realized too and have been has appreciated it yeah you know it's like i need i need help over marriage and you you say well Really, you know, marriage is about, you know, just give a little, take a little, and you walk out the door and leave, and you find out that there are questions about how many kids should they have, you know, and it's like, <laughs> you know, so yeah, yeah, I mean, cookie cutter answers are good sometimes. You need, everybody needs Christ. I mean, you're not going to fail with giving somebody the gospel, but mm-hmm. yeah. Right. All right. So I don't know how long we've gone at this point. Well, we, but. we're not worried about time on this one, but okay. yeah, it is. Yeah. All right, lightning round then. Yeah. The last question is personal interests. You know, the one thing I, I would like to say, though, because you brought this up, is that, that these these kind of past experiences have, does influence us today in the way we do things. Mm-hmm. And I know for me, because I, I, prefer to, I prefer to raise the group, right, not just raise an individual. So trying to raise the individual, but also have that group dynamic around the table of leaders. Um, For me, what that means is a problem doesn't mean one person provides the answer. Mm. The problem is we as a group find the best answer and we we solve it. Yes. And so I'm a brainstorm thinker. Yep. And that, uh, that gets me in trouble with some people. Because I'll say, hey, I'm thinking about doing this. And they think, well, that's what we're doing. Yeah. And really what I'm doing is, hey, here's where I'm at right now. Do you, what are your thoughts on this situation? Um, you know, it's so funny, Kyla, sometimes like, well, do we just want the, do we want tomatoes or not? And me, I'm like, well, you know, like, do, did we, we didn't get tomatoes last year. What are we doing different this year that's going to get us tomatoes? Because they're three ninety nine at, at Costco. So <laughs> we can, well, they're four ninety nine now, yeah. but. For sure. five bucks, we can get a carton of tomatoes. Yeah. You know, we don't have to grow them. <laughs> so, but, you know, that brainstorm thinking in me gets me in trouble because sometimes people hear me talk and they say, well, this is what we're doing. Well, no, I'm just brainstorming. Like, and I'm, I'm inviting you to the conversation to, to be a part of that. What, what do you see? Because, right, sometimes yeah. people, hey, this is a legit issue with your thinking. Oh, I didn't realize that was going to be, I didn't want that much work or, you know, yeah, this, this is the kind of issue that needs that much work. And so brainstorm thinking is my leadership approach too. And that goes with kind of that educational mindset because you're trying to brainstorm who do we have in the group? What are our strengths and weaknesses? What do we have available as resources and what's the best way to tackle the issue? And so sometimes you think outside the box and sometimes you think inside the box. Right. And, and often you and I will, get into a little bit right because i'm i'm more of a like give me an answer now yes like <laughs> yeah and, um Just so it's like please yeah so and and it's helpful right to to understand that about each other and how we work with each other that way right you know and in addition to what you said this is also why in cornerstone we operate as like hey if you're coming to us for help all the elders are gonna know yes. right we're gonna talk about this yeah. Uh, as elders, because yeah. we we all understand that we have specific strengths and weaknesses and propensities, and how we can best help you is to put our heads together yeah. and look at the scriptures, 
regarding your situation and find out the best way to encourage you. Yeah. 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 There's probably some things we don't bring to each other. Yeah. But the, but oh, there's a lot of things we don't bring right. to each other. And the, but those are usually like, well, you know, you got to be patient with your wife. Like a lot of times we don't be like, well, you know, I had this conversation with Tommy boy about being patient with his wife. You know what I mean? Like it's, mm. you know, yeah. some of these are, are, but some of the issues that are addressed, we, we come and say, Hey guys, this, this might be an issue beyond just what this person's dealing with or, yes. or I've never encountered this before. You know, the, the abuse situation that we've seen, I mean, none of us could have, would have ever guessed, you know? Yeah. As a practice, it, if it's like, if I start to feel like it's over my head, I look to you guys basically, yeah. Yeah, I you think know, that's probably all and of us. so it's just helpful. Yep. Lightning round. Huh? Lightning round. Personal interests. And go. Go. Personal interest. What does that even mean? Yeah. I feel like my world is my wife and kids and church. Those are my personal interest. <laughs> Coffee? Yeah. Does it? Oh. Oh, no, yeah. come on. I can answer. I can answer one of those. <clears throat> Gino's love language is? Oh, I do like cooking. Yeah, yeah there you go. Uh, throw down in the kitchen a little bit. If Gino's cooked bit. for you, if he hasn't, it doesn't mean he doesn't love you. It just hasn't. He hasn't got there yet. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I do. Yep. I do like cooking for yep. people. Yep. Enjoy it. Or going to a new restaurant. I can do this at home. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I have a hard time going to restaurants that can't make it that great. And that's how the Christmas party <laughs> got burrito tacos. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's that's in uh, in music. I, I I'm I'm honestly trying to. Uh, I mean, I, I still enjoy music as as much as um, uh, you know. We, I think we all. Oh, I don't know. Do you guys enjoy music? I enjoy music, but <laughs> yeah. Uh, specifically, church music. I'm I'm just. I feel like. Um, I, I I feel like. New songs have to come out of our church at some point. So, that's in my. I'm trying to learn how to. I'm trying to learn how to write better, and that's. I think that's a. Uh, that 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 is that just takes time though. That takes time and lots and lots of practice. Like uh, you have to write like 500 songs type of thing, deal to 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 have like five that are decent, you know. So you've been there, Emil. You've written those songs, unless you're Led Zeppelin. <laughs> yeah, they're all yeah, the they're all really good. Yeah, the good thing is my kids are always singing every day, so it's like. You know, can throw out some ideas, throw out some melody lines to them, and see if they work or not. Yeah, I don't know, but yeah, that's me. Um, Aren't you I'm like, I'm like, yeah, Chris, Jack yeah. of all trades, master none. <laughs> <laughs> well, you put together a car. Uh, oh, barely go. remember yeah. <laughs> the brake light still oh. still doesn't work. Yeah, whatever brake lights <laughs> make lights. Um, yeah, I do want to say though, uh, just before I go to my personal interest, where Mel said, right, um, information is not the more information you know, right? Going back to you know not getting formal studies and theology or whatever, information doesn't always mean um, that you're more matured, right? Right. Um, I think it's, it's how you love people, um, how, you know, uh, is what shows um, your maturity. Um, and yes. so really super, uh, super thankful for that and how you just engage people and love people. Um, and 
be willing and patient to peel back that on, uh, you know, the, the onion there and, and get to know people so you can serve them better. Right. So, um, super helpful. Um, but so personal, uh, interest really, I just, I mean, I just love fellowship. Yeah. Uh, if there's, you know, um, there's just not enough time in a day, uh, for fellowship and it's fellowship with my family, fellowship, with my friends, uh, with you guys, um, you know, which sometimes gets us in trouble because I think we all love fellowship too much, uh, with each other here. And, um, uh, but, but that's, that's a personal interest of mine. And, you know, I enjoy what you guys do, right. Um, when you guys are into something, I want to be into that same thing. Um, because I, I want to spend the same, uh, I want to spend time with you guys and, uh, I truly enjoy that. I, I just enjoy people and spending time with people. Yeah. Ramil? Same. I think personal interest-wise is... Well, so I love art, um, creativity, anything that that uh, kind of where you're exploring kind of the unknown a little bit. Um, growing up where the way I grew up, I'm a bit of a rebel and in, in that sense where deconstruction is a bit of a thing, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, sensible deconstruction. Yes. Um, and I love, uh, you know, when, when it comes to people, I love one-on-one interactions, very intimate, like one-on-one interactions. And uh, also teaching, like anything, yeah. like whether it's like, um, you know, I don't know anything like helping people to understand something. Yeah. I love seeing people's faces light up when they finally come to understand something. Yeah. So um, that is something that I seem to absolutely love, you know, no matter what it is that, that I'm doing, Yeah. you know, so uh, quirky, quirky interest. I love martial arts, um, which would follow the whole being bullied when you're a kid thing. Um, standing up for the week and all that. So um, I do not like bullying. Yeah. <laughs> so um, uh, that that sort of like more of a personal quirk. Jason? Yeah, that you're going to get a nickname, Mr. Miyagi. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to happen. I'm going to work it tomorrow. We will have uh, chopsticks and flies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We will be snapping and flies as, with chopsticks. As Sean hit, uh, sits here, not hits me, but sits here beside me, um, we're both excited about this. Yeah, mm-hmm. I am too. I want to see if we can catch a fly with the chopsticks. Mm. I mean, that'd be pretty cool. we got to record that. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I, I never know how to answer these questions. I'm full on nerd. I'm a nerd. I'm mm. all right with that. So, yeah, we like... <clears throat> You know, it was always fun hanging out with the boys, always fun hanging out with the wife. Um, you know, when I hang out with the wife, I really hate doing tasky things. But so my trip to Ikea is just an expression of love for my wife. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's a cool pot there. And, you know, so that that's just me, you know, okay, I love, you know, I just love you. So I'm glad we're here, but... Mm. Um, you know, uh, fellowship boys and I, we play a lot of board games cause we're nerds and, um, watch a lot of Marvel and star Wars. And, 
uh, Isaac gives me a lot of updates on what Google says coming out with the next Star Wars and mm. all the, you know, make sure he tells me all the um, the Easter eggs that were in every episode of whatever we watched. And so that, that kind of stuff is fun. Uh, but for me, yeah, probably full on nerd, just the board game scene, and um, which is pretty fun because, you know, my mind doesn't really stop. It's It's a weakness of mine that I cannot turn my mind off. And so the, the interesting part about what, if I can sit down at the table with people, my mind stops and the board games with the, with the boys is a way to stop and just to have fun with them, hang out. The interesting part is, you know, they're not a couple of my boys are not really into sports, which is what I grew up. I did play sports growing up, but there are things you learn with a team that you can't learn without a team. And so some of the board game stuff we play, I've, I've found that we've been able to integrate some team mentality and some things that I learned in sports with them. And so that has been helpful to us. So just because I think you got to learn to work with people, you got to learn to like share common goals and do your part and be a part of the team and die to self sometimes. And so the board game's given us that opportunity because we play a lot of co-op games where it's not all versus each other, but it's we're all on the same team trying to fight the same the same enemy and so it's good that's probably my my big interest that's my nerd i do like to read a lot too mm. you know <clears throat> fiction literature history biography um reading uh teddy roosevelt's biography right now it's really good reading a fantasy uh fiction novel and do then you, of course theology do you slow down in those uh fiction and in and, and uh, biographies and things like that or do you you know what i go back and forth um I, sometimes i get tired of a book and i put it aside and i just say this book isn't worth more time hmm. and then but uh the the one i'm reading now i'm actually slowed down in reading but Sometimes, you know, like the, but then the theology book I'm reading, I finally figured, I figured out his writing style enough to where I'm, I'm skimming a lot and reading a lot. So you, once you learn an author, you can, you know, when to go and when to, when to slow. So. Mm. Yeah. You're a pretty voracious reader. Teddy Roosevelt, uh, at times needs to be skip it, big brother. Cause this is dragging on, mm. but it's a phenomenal, I mean, it's actually a great book to be honest with you. Um, yeah. And he's a fascinating guy. He's a man's man. Mm-hmm. Uh, that guy, you know, was out hunting bear as the president of the United States. And, uh, yeah, it was, the author actually ascribes Teddy as the uh, the uh, or the inspiration behind the teddy bear. Now, I don't know if that's true, but it's a fun story, right? Huh. Teddy, teddy bear. Great. It makes sense. Makes sense to me. Yeah, yeah. All because he went out on a bear hunt. And uh, he had an opportunity to kill a bear, but because of the bear's injury, he didn't feel like it was sporty, so he didn't shoot it. But the press was there and wrote about it, and in their writing about it, ends up, you know, uh, here's Teddy the, the the Merciful, you know, and so, mm-hmm. yep. Wow. Yep. What, um, what, uh, when did he, what decade was he? His uh, first president in the 20th century, oh, so 19, okay. 19 to 1908. 1908. Yep. And in fact, he wasn't elected in his first term. He was uh, McKinley's vice president who was assassinated on day two or three of his presidency. Mm. And he was in, I think, I want to say he was in Buffalo, New York, when he got the telegram that the president had died and he had become president. Wow. And so, and yep. he, he became one of the favorites. Yeah. And so by, by year three of his, of his first term, uh, which is where I'm at now, 
he is basically like a national icon and mm-hmm. he's just the Republican party loves him, but, uh, some Democrats love him. Yeah. This, this is a funny, right? This is why I, I think people need to read history because, um, Teddy Roosevelt was the first president of the United States to, um, appoint a black person mm-hmm. to the, to a postmaster general in Illinois. And not only did he appoint a black person, he appointed a black female. So in Illinois, she is running the post office, and he got so much trash from that. Huh. Yeah, he invited um, Washington Irving, or yes, yeah, to the White House within the first week that he was in the White House. Hmm. And he came over and had a private dinner with Teddy. And again, the press, especially the South, just slaughtered him for it but but right um, again against the narrative right so this is the thing where people think oh the north was all like you know anti anti-racism and the south was all racist bigots and but no he got beef from people in new york and though they though they didn't agree with slavery they were not on board with with him being that close to washington irving and he was they were not on board with her being the postmaster general, and there were some White House balls where he, where he invited African Americans to the ball, and there were people in the North livid with him over this, and he didn't care. He just nope, that's not how I'm going to do it. And he was definitely he was his own man. He was a Republican, but uh, definitely uh, was, he a, was he a believer. Uh, I don't think so. Okay. It's hard to say. It's funny because in the Rockefeller biography, um, Ron Cherno, Chernowith, Cherno, Titan is the name of the biography. John D. Rockefeller uh, attended a Baptist church his entire life, was a part of the Baptist church his entire life, and preferred expository preaching. Mm. And yet, at the same token, he did some, you know, his organization was involved with, um, um, I don't want to say blackmailing, but definitely would, were, were, he was not opposed to, to buying off mm. some things. So it's, well, he was a ferocious businessman. Like he, he was, he was like, very ferocious yeah. business, yeah. businessman. Yes. Yeah. He was cutthroat. <laughs> yeah. But he also would take his enemies and hire them as his friends. Hmm. And if he thought you were phenomenal, but but working against it, he just found a way to work with you. Yeah. And um, so, it's interesting. I don't know if JD's in heaven. I mean, when we get there, we'll find out. I hope so. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Teddy. You know, there's there's all sorts of theories too. There there's some theories that Teddy's wife was actually a lesbian, mm. and that um, that she was not. Um, yeah, that she was a lesbian, and. Um, but the funny part about Teddy is he he was not a womanizer. And all throughout his presidency, that was very known that he was not, that he felt like, um, you know, even sex between husband and wife should be kept private and not talked about at all. And so he was, he was in some ways, he was Victorian in his, in his ethics. Um, yeah, he definitely had integrity and, you know, mm-hmm. that walk softly and carry a big stick. Uh, was there to protect Venezuela. And so he was very much involved with uh, the Monroe Doctrine and trying to protect North and South America from European imperialistic mindsets. And, um, you know, he, he was willing to put a show of force together if he needed to to defend 
uh, while at the same time, uh, in fact, at first they decided that the canal was going to go through not Panama, uh, somewhere else. But I don't remember that somewhere else off the top of my head. But it ends up, obviously, it ends up going into Panama. But he, throughout the process, he tried to protect the people. And there's a lot of politicizing going on, of course, because, you know, um, investors and, and it's, it's nothing's changed, right? Even back in the 1900s, investors are realizing, hey, we can make a lot of money if the, pan, if the canal goes through this country. And so you still have people trying to buy up land and influ- make these influences. And ultimately, when that other decision went, he, he did something different. So... Hmm. Yeah, he was the the thing I like about him is he was conservative, but he had principles and was willing to tell his own party when they're wrong. And he would it, it's funny in the Churchill biography Churchill's the same way. Churchill was actually never a part of the same political party his entire time. He was a part of like three different political parties. And kind of depended on what was at the top of his agenda, depended on who he worked with. But and Churchill and Teddy are very similar in that way. Even though Teddy's a Republican the whole time he's president, he he was willing to go across the aisle if he thought it was going to make America better. And you know we have our national park system because of Teddy Roosevelt. Mm-hmm. He, there's a reason why he's on Mount Rushmore because he protected and grew the the land, the federal land in the United States. Fa- fascinating guy. I mean, really, just you know, amazing guy. Broke up a lot of the trust that Rockefeller and Carnegie and uh, Carnegie would would be what they would say. And um, Morgan put together. In fact, J.P. Morgan walked into his office, sat down, and just sat there for a meeting. And he didn't say anything, but his, his associate did all the talking. But Teddy was pretty sure that Morgan was there to intimidate him. And basically, Teddy was like, you don't intimidate me. I'm the president of the United States. <laughs> and so... He broke up uh, one of the Morgan trusts, and um, they, they haven't resolved that yet. But but the authors alluded that that's going to break up, and so yeah, I mean he, you know, helped solve some coal miner issues, and yeah, he's an amazing guy. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Just Jason's interests. Yeah. yeah. Just a little aside there. Yeah. A little yeah. aside. Yeah, that was not the lightning round, but but it's yeah. interesting, right? Because five minutes of reading history will literally shatter 99% of the narratives I hear right now floating around on Facebook and other things. Mm -hmm. You know, Kit Carson's Blood and Thunder shatters the entire uh, Native American, American, you know, the narratives that are running around out there and just makes you realize, no, this is not as, you know, it's it's not like what you think it is. And so, yeah. Yeah, it it really brings to the forefront the the, the depravity of man uh, and, and how that's so prevalent no matter what, time you lived in and what culture yep, yep. you're all racist <laughs> yeah 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 well and it's yeah it's it's hard Sorry, man I said the r word well no Sorry. it's hard because you know you, you feel bad for the native americans but at the same token i promise you that if we were alive in in that time period living in new mexico when when kit carson was at work um and the navajo was was in strife with the Americans there in New Mexico. I promise you, if we were in those villages, we would have most of the people would who are crying foul today would have been the first ones there saying, "You got to do something. The government needs to do something about this." Right. And the government went across the aisle not once, not twice, like umpteen times to try to have peace with the Navajo. And really, they were like, "Would you just quit stealing our sheep? Mm-hmm. Quit stealing." 
could you please quit stop raiding and stealing our sheep and stealing our kids? Yeah, and then Avra were like, sure. Stealing is a Western invention. Right. Though, so, you but know. then the next day they were right back in your village stealing your stuff again. And yeah. so it was, you know, it's like, you know, and again, those, those are clash of worldviews. Mm-hmm. And so there, there, it might be fair to say, yeah. well, was it, were these worldviews, which worldviews, right? It's a different discussion. Yep. yep. But, well, yeah. a little, little trivia. Guam was known as the Island of Thieves. You know that when oh, Magellan came over, yeah. um, they were, you know, they, they, they walked onto the ships and just took whatever they want. And, yeah. and <laughs> they were like, the Spaniards were like, uh, what's going on? <laughs> you know, uh, it's actually interesting. Teddy was um, president when there was, when there was a strife between the United States and the Philippines. Oh yeah. That makes sense. And um, he yeah, that's, uh, had a general fired because the United States had won a victory but the general um, acted outside of what, what Teddy felt like was his conduct unbecoming of an officer and had that officer removed from position because of his treatment of the people there. So, mm. I mean, it, right. Yeah. It, that, that was early in Teddy's, in Teddy's presidency. And so the, the, you know, it's interesting, right? Teddy, Teddy and the Philippines have a relationship in the, the United Spanish American war, right? That about the, we're, we're not, not that's post, but well, like that's when Americans came. Yes. Um, after the Spanish. Well, Teddy was a rough rider down there in Cuba too. So yeah, now, all this works, works. It's interesting. Well, fascinating. Wow. Our, Isn't that crazy? We coming. If you listen this long, you, you know, hopefully you <laughs> well, learn something. I don't even know. Where are we? <laughs> Where are we? I just wanted to say thank you guys for humoring. <laughs> hey, thank you. Any other, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. all of us at Cornerstone, uh, by helping us to get to know you more. So um, it does help. It yeah, helps thanks. to understand a lot about you guys. Question is, will anyone listen to this? For the whole time. If you're <laughs> listening at this point, text per mill and you win. We're not sure 10, what you 000. win yet. Oh, it's got to have more than 10,000. Uh, I'm going to give you 50,000 points. 50,000. Totally wow. redeemable with your spouse. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah, except for Sean. <laughs> Sean already wins. Yeah, and yeah. you can't tell Caitlin. Caitlin's disqualified. So no summary, summary of tonight. Um, Jason is scholar pastor. Nope. <laughs> Ramil is ninja pastor. <laughs> I can go with that. Mr. Miyagi. <laughs> I'm music pastor. <laughs> hey, Chris, what are you? Military pastor? Renaissance man <laughs> Renaissance pastor. Man. Uh, Air Force pastor. All right. Um, well, we can do this little closing song thing because uh, I know which one that is keyed up on the thing. And so this podcast is over. And closing song. Mm-hmm.